I'm Steph. I'm Kim. And, and this, this is Solved, Unsolved or Spooky. Hey there, True Crimers. Hey, everyone. Hey, Kim. Hey, everyone. <laughs> We're back again. Yep. Hmm. You got any goss? Um, well, it's definitely snake season. Definitely snake season, yep. Because my aunt almost stepped on one the other day. <laughs> the thing is, you don't know what it is because brown snakes are very deceiving. They can look like tiger snakes and red bellies. And you just don't know. So. I've kind of got a bit of a motto that you stay away from all just snakes. Just stay away from all snakes. If they're not a python, stay away. Just stay away. Well, like snakes, though. I don't. I mean, they can stay away in the bush. That'd be nice. Yeah. But it's hard when you live in the middle of the bush, I guess. Yeah. Well, I have some goss, but I really, I had it written down, but I didn't bring it home with me. So... I can only just elaborate on a little bit because mm. I can't remember the details. But um, the Kristen Smart case mm. has, you know, lit up again now, and I'm pretty sure lit <laughs> up. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that the guy, after 25 years, has now been charged. Oh wow! Yep. So that's all happening. And then the other case that I really want to do, which I can't oh. do just yet. No, this is different to whatever you're thinking of. Oh, is it? Is my ex-boyfriend. Oh, okay, yeah, that's different. Who's been I was charged gonna with talk about, I was going to say the Gabby one. Oh, yeah, you can talk about her in a second then. Um, he has been released on bail and will be going to court again later in the year once that's oh, finished. Cool. And then I will do that one. There you go. Hmm. Didn't know that. There you go. All right, you talk about yours. Well, there's that girl in America. Gabby, yeah. Yeah, who's, they found her. They've unfortunately found her body. They're deceased. And they have done the autopsy. Yeah, um, and it's foul play. Like there is foul been murdered, yeah. 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 But once, I guess, everything's kind of calmed down. Well, they haven't found him yet, so. I was going to say, once everything's proceeded a bit more and that we might cover that case. We'll definitely be covering oh, that case yeah. once a few more things come to light. Because at this stage, a lot of people are proposing different theories and ideas. Yeah. Um, I don't really want to speculate. But rather have facts. Yeah, have all the facts and then go yeah. through it. Yeah. Mm. All right. What are you doing today? I am actually covering like a really, really bad one. You usually do. Yeah. I don't know why. I, yeah. I try, but then I am drawn to these ones. I'm assuming most people would know about Edward Theodore Gein. Yes, Ed Gein. So that is who I am going to be talking about today. And I will give it a, you know, a trigger warning because it is disturbing. Very disturbing. Revolting might and be a better word. If you're not okay with body parts being turned into furniture and masks and stuff, maybe tune out and come back next week. And I guess if you're still here, let's proceed with this. <laughs> <laughs> so, Edward Theodore Gein was born in La Crosse County, Wisconsin, on August 27, 1906. His parents were George and Augusta Gein. He had an older brother named Henry George Gein. And despite Augusta's deep contempt for her husband, 
The marriage persisted because of the family's religious beliefs about divorce. And you will find Gorgasta is, she's taken religion and she's taken it to the extreme. Oh, okay. So she just, she's not one of those, I just believe in God and I'm a good person type thing. Yep. She's like, no, everyone else is just horrible and sinners and yeah. You can kind of see why he turned out the way he did. Mm. I mean, personally, I think he's a little bit crazy, but you can kind of see why. I mean, he's a monster, and there's no excuse for that, but yeah. yeah. I'll have to listen before I can (laughs) make up my mind. So, Augusta Gein operated a small grocery store and eventually purchased a farm on the outskirts of a small town of Plainfield, Wisconsin. She sounds all right to me. Hard <laughs> work of woman. Well, she was the breadwinner. Okay. Because the dad was a bit of an alcoholic, and, like, according to the mum, he was just useless and hopeless and no good. <laughs> <laughs> and this became their permanent home. Augusta Gein moved to the location to prevent outsiders from influencing her sons. And Ed only left to go to school, and that was oh, it. Oh, okay. So school, then back home, and you don't leave unless Isolation. you go to Isolation. Yeah. yeah. And besides school, he spent most of his time doing chores on the farm. Augusta Gein was a Lutheran, which I am not actually 100% sure what that is, and she preached to her boys the innate immorality of the world, the evil of drinking, and the belief that all women, of course excluding herself, were prostitutes and instruments of the devil. So, <laughs> so no women for these poor boys. Oh, yeah, she's putting into their heads literally every other woman besides her is evil and just will lure you to the devil. Yeah. It's just a little bit much. So you can see why they're a little bit twisted. Mummy. Yeah. Go there. She reserved time every afternoon to read to them from the Bible. Is that bit in itself not that bad? But usually selecting graphic verses from the Old Testament, dealing with death, murder, and divine retribution. Oh, dear. So, yeah, not great. With an effeminate demeanour, Ed became a target for bullies. Classmates and teachers recalled off-putting mannerisms, such as seemingly random laughter. Oh, like me. as, As if he was laughing at his own personal jokes. To make matters worse, his mother scolded him whenever he tried to make friends. So even if he tried to make friends, his mother was like, no, you can't have oh, that's friends. sad. Yeah. So he's isolated and she's putting all these thoughts in his head. Thoughts. Yeah. Could you imagine if they had a female teacher? They'd think, think she's <laughs> a prostitute. prostitute and works for the devil. Wow. Yep. Despite his poor social development, he did fairly well in school, particularly in reading. Gein tried to make his mother happy, but she was rarely pleased with her boys. She often abused them, believing they were destined to become failures like their father. Oh, yeah, she hates the dad. She's like, you're just nothing. Yeah. I barely don't. The only reason she's with him is because she believes divorce is bad. That's it. Strong, strong marriage there. Oh, man. Like, he's probably... (laughs) Like, severely depressed and... Probably why he drinks. Yeah. Crazy. During their teens and throughout the early adulthood, the boys remained detached from people outside of their farmstead and so only had each other for company. 
and George Gein, the dad, he died of a heart attack in 1940, and the Gein brothers began working at odd jobs to help with expenses. They were considered reliable and honest by residents of the community. While both worked as handymen, Ed also frequently babysat for neighbours. He enjoyed babysitting, seemed to, seeming to relate to children more easily than adults. Henry Gein began to reject his mother's viewers of the world and worried about his brother's Ed attachment to her. He spoke badly of his mum around him too, oh. which may have not worked very well for him. Oh, I can see where this is going. <laughs> On May 16th, 1944, a brush fire burned close to the farm and the Gein brothers went out to extinguish it. And reportedly, the brothers were separated, and as night fell, Ed lost sight of his brother. Mm-hmm. After the fire was extinguished, he reported to the police that his brother was missing, and a search party was organised. Gein led them directly to his missing brother, who lay dead on the ground. With a wound to the back of his head, no doubt. Well, the police had concerns about the circumstances under which the body was discovered. The ground on which Henry Gein lay was untouched by fire, <laughs> and he had bruises on his head. Mm-hmm. Despite this, the police dismissed the possibility of foul play, and the county coroner listed asphyxiation as the cause of death. You're joking. So, yeah. <laughs> Although some investigators suspected that Ed killed his brother, no charges were filed against him. After his brother's death, Gein lived alone with his mother, who died on December 29, 1945. Here we go. Mm. Following a series of strokes, at which time Gein, quote, lost his only friend and one true love. And he was absolutely alone in the world. That's so revolting, isn't it? <sighs> so sad. Like, that was his whole world because, well, she made it his whole world. Mm. And now he has nothing and no one. So, yes, I'm assuming this is definitely where you'd unravel you yeah, didn't have a definitely. stable mindset. Yeah. Don't be a controlling mother. It's yeah. Not a Doesn't thing. work well. Dean remained on the farm, supporting himself with earnings from odd jobs. He boarded up the rooms used by his mother, including the upstairs and downstairs parlour and the living room, leaving them untouched as like little shrines, and you just he did not go in them. He lived in a small room next to the kitchen and Gein became interested in reading death cult magazines and adventure stories. I mean, adventure stories are cool. Hmm. Maybe he shouldn't be reading the other ones, but... On November 16th, 1957, Plainfield hardware store owner Bernice Warden disappeared, and police had reason to suspect Gein. Her son had told investigators that Gein had been in the store the evening before the disappearance saying he would return the following morning for a gallon of antifreeze. Oh, dear. What's going on with that? <laughs> Hopefully just for the car. Ooh. And they found a sales slip for a gallon of antifreeze and was the last written receipt by Warden on the morning she disappeared. Upon searching Gein's property, investigators discovered, okay, trigger warning, because this is where things get bad. Nasty. Yeah. They discovered... A naked human carcass, beheaded, disemboweled, and hanging upside down from a ceiling beam. Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. Oh, he was busy. 
Mr. Slay, I'm sorry if I said that wrong. It's hard. Gagged, but ma- managed not to throw up. The carcass turned out to be the freshly gathered remains of Mrs. Warden, and police found her head in a burlap sack in another part of the house. What is it with serial killers and burlap sacks for heads? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're easy to come by. Okay, nails had been hammered through her ears and tied together with twine. Oh, my gosh, it's revolting. Yeah. Detectives spent the entire night and the next day trawling through the house. I have, like, a list, and I'm pretty sure there was more stuff, but it's pr- it's, there's enough here to listen. get the picture look. So they found four noses, whole human bones and fragments, nine masks of human skin, <gasps> bowls made from human skulls, Ten, Ugh. yeah, ten female heads with the top sword off. How? I told you. Sorry to interject right here because I know you're on your big list. Yeah. How have ten women gone missing? At least. Ten- okay, you will find out. All right. Okay. Okay. Because I told you before we were started recording that he didn't kill a lot of people. Oh, this is interesting. Okay. Um, human skin covering several chair seats. Mary Hogan's head in a paper bag. She's another victim we'll get a little bit into later. Mm-hmm. Bernice Warden's head in a burlap sack. Nine vulvas in a shoebox. Skulls on the bedpost. Organs in the refrigerator. A pair of lips on a drawstring for a window shade. A belt made from human female nipples. A lampshade made from the skin of a human face. And hanging up in the closet was a shirt made of human skin, complete with a pair of breasts. Did you get to see pictures of any of these? Um, No, I didn't look. Because I'd like to know what his stitching's like. If he's but, a good. Okay, I am kind of curious. Yeah, I'd like to. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> These artifacts were photographed at the crime lab and then were destroyed. So he admitted to killing Mrs. Warden, who was shot in the head with a twenty-two caliber rifle, and then dragged her outside to his car and transported her back to the farmhouse. He later confessed to the murder three years earlier of Plainfield innkeeper Mary Hogan, who had vanished in a mysterious circumstances. But he said most of the body parts had actually been taken from the corpses of women he had dug up from the local cemetery. That's just... (laughs) Yeah. When questioned, Gein told investigators that between 1947 and 1952, he made as many as 40 visits to three local graveyards to exhume recently buried bodies while he was in a, quote, daze-like state. That's so awful. How do people not notice this? Well, they're freshly done, so the dirt's still fresh, I guess, so you wouldn't notice. And on about 30 of these visits, he said he had come out of the days while in the cemetery and left the graves in good order and returned home empty-handed. On the other occasions, he dug up the graves of the recently buried middle-aged women and he thought these resembled his mother (laughs) and he took the bodies home where he tanned the skins to make his paraphernalia. Gein admitted robbing nine graves, leading investigators to their locations. 
Authorities were uncertain as to whether Gein was capable of single-handedly digging up a grave in a single evening. So they exhumed two of the graves and found them empty, which fit his story. Shortly after his mother's death, Gein had decided he wanted a sex change and began to create a, quote, woman suit so he could pretend to be a female. There you go. Gein's practice of wearing the tan skins of women was described as, quote, insane transvestite ritual. Gein denied that he had sex with the bodies he exhumed, explaining, quote, they smelled too bad. I bet they did. That's what happens when you start decomposing. During the late 1940s and 1950s, Wisconsin police began to notice an increase in missing person cases. There were four cases that particularly baffled police. The first was that of an eight-year-old girl named Georgia Weckler, who had (laughs) disappeared coming home from school on May 1st, 1947. Yeah. Hundreds of residents and police searched an area of 10 square miles of Jefferson, Wisconsin, hoping to find the young girl. Unfortunately, she has never been seen or heard of again. There were no good suspects, and the only evidence police had to go on were tyre marks they found near a place where Georgia was last seen, and the tyre marks were that of a Ford. They looked back into it when Ed was arrested. Another girl disappeared six years later at La Crosse, Wisconsin. Fifteen-year-old Evelyn Hartley had been babysitting at the time she had vanished. Her father repeatedly tried to phone the girl at the house where she was babysitting, and there was no answer. Worried, he immediately drove to where she was babysitting. Nobody answered the door, and when he peered through the window, he could see one of his daughter's shoes and her glasses. He tried to enter the house, but all the doors and windows were locked, except for one, the back basement window. It was at the window where he discovered bloodstains. Petrified, he entered the house and discovered signs of struggle. Immediately, he contacted police. Police found more evidence of a struggle, including bloodstains on the grass leading away from the house, a bloody handprint on the neighbouring house, footprints and the other girl's shoe on the basement floor. A regional search was conducted, but Evelyn was nowhere to be found. A few days later, police discovered some bloodied articles of clothing that belonged to her near the highway outside of La Crosse. And in November of 1952, two men stopped for a drink at a bar in Plainfield, Wisconsin, before heading out to deer hunt. Victor Travis and Ray Burgess spent several hours at the bar before leaving. The two men and their car have never been seen again. Whoa. Yeah. A massive search was conducted, but there was no trace of them. There would be another discovery on Ed's land that would again raise the issue of whether he did murder a third person. On November 29th, police unearthed human saleable remains on the Gain farm. They suspected it might be the body of Victor Travis. Okay, yeah. But the rem- and the remains were immediately taken to the crime lab and examined. Although tests showed that the body was not a male, but of a large middle-aged woman. Another graveyard souvenir. Mm. So, yeah. They could not implicate Gein on the disappearance of Victor Travers or the three other people who had vanished years earlier in the Plainfield area. The only murders he could 
be held responsible for were Bernice Warden and Mary Hogan. A 16-year-old youth whose parents were friends of Gein and who attended ball games and movies with Gein reported that he was aware of the shrunken heads which Gein had described as relics from the Philippines oh my sent by a cousin who had served in World War II. Upon investigation by the police, these were determined to be human facial skins carefully peeled from cadavers and used as masks by Gein. Oh my yeah. Bushara County Sheriff, sorry if I said that wrong. It's hard. Uh, Archley allegedly physically assaulted Gein during questionings by banging Gein's head and face into a brick wall. That sounds fair enough. Causing Gein's initial confession to be ruled inadmissible. The investigator, he died of a heart attack in December 1968 at the age of 43. Mm. Only a month after testifying at Gein's trial. Many who knew him said he was traumatised by the horror of Gein's crimes and that this, along with his fear of having to testify, led to his early death. One of his friends said, quote, He was a victim of Ed Gein as surely as if he had butchered him. Police exhumed the bodies of eight women at Plainfield Cemetery and discovered they had all been mutilated. Body parts, including faces, breasts, genitalia, and strips of skin, had been removed by someone who had carefully placed the bodies back in their coffins and replaced the earth to avoid suspicion. Gee, I wonder who that might be. <laughs> it transpired that Gein and a trusted friend, identified only as Gus, oh. had made these nocturnal raids only hours after these women's funerals and after reading their obituaries in the lo- local newspapers. Do we find out who Gus is? No. Well, I think we should. <laughs> it appears he only began killing when Gus moved to an old people's home and Gein was unable to carry out his nocturnal activities alone. Gein told detectives how he would wear the human skin shirt around the house at night and often placed... Okay, this is so gross often placed a female genitalia over his naked groin as if he were a woman. Keen was obsessed by women and the sexual power they had over men. Oh, well, prostitutes and working <laughs> for the, for the devil. devil. <laughs> Psychiatrists later concluded he was clinically insane. When investigators revealed the facts about what was found on his farm, the news quickly spread. Reporters from all over the world flocked to the small town of Plainfield. The town became known worldwide as Ed Gein reached celebrity-like status. People were repulsed, yet at the same time drawn to the atrocities that took place. I I get that, because same. Psychologists from all over the world attempted to find out what made him tick. During the 1950s, he gained notoriety as being one of the most famous of documented cases involving a combination of necrophilia, transvestism, and fetishism. Even children (laughs) who knew of the exploits of Ed began to sing songs about him. Residents endured the onslaught of reporters who disrupted their daily life by bombarding them with questions about Keane. However, many of them eventually became involved in the mania surrounding him and contributed what information they had. Plainfields was now known to the world as the home of infamous Ed Keane. They never suspected him of being capable of committing such ghastly crimes. With Gein away from the farm, the people of Plainfield 
were able to wreak their vengeance on his home, which had come to embody evil in their community. On the morning of 20th of March, 1958, firefighters were called to Gein's farmhouse, but were unable to save it from being burnt to the ground by the blaze. When told about the fire, Gein simply said, quote, just as well. Some of his possessions, including his 1949 Ford sedan, survived the fire and were sold off at auction. The car was bought by an entrepreneur who exhibited in the state fairs under the banner, quote, come and see the ghoul car in which Ed Gein transported his victims. Mm. He was finally declared mentally competent to stand trial in November 1968. He was found guilty of the first-degree murder of Bernice Warden, but was found to have been insane at the time of the killing and was sent back to the hospital in Weepon. Weepon. I just don't know how to say that. (laughs) Much to the disappointment of the Warden family. He was happy at the hospital. He got along well enough with the other patients, though for the most part he kept for himself. He was eating three square meals a day, and he continued to be an avid reader. He liked his regular chats with the staff psychologist and enjoyed the work he was assigned. He had even developed an interest in ham radios and had been permitted to use the money he had earned to order an inexpensive receiver. The head nurse said, quote, If all our patients were like him, we'd have no trouble at all. But some of the female members of staff recall feeling discomforted when they found Gein staring at them. I mean, I probably would feel a bit weird too. Did you know what he's thinking? I was going to say, knowing what he's done and what he's capable of. On July 26, 1984, Gein died of respiratory and heart failure due to cancer in Goodland Hall at the Mendota Mental Health Institute. His grave site in the Plainfield Cemetery was frequently vandalised over the years. Stephanie Seekers chipped off pieces of his gravestone before the bulk of it was stolen in 2000. The gravestone was recovered in June 2001 near Seattle and is now in a museum in Washara County. The story of Ed Gein has had a lasting impact on our popular culture. Gein's story was adapted into a number of movies including Deranged, 1974, In the Light of the Moon, 2000, and Ed Gein, The Butcher of Plainfield, in 2007. Gein influenced fictional serial killers like Norman Bates in Psycho, Leatherface in The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Buffalo Bill in The Silence of the Lambs, which Mm -hmm. we watched the other day. We did. Because I love that movie. (laughs) And these are his known fictions. Like we kill. Mary Hogan is Gein's first known murder victim, and she was 54 years old. She disappeared from the tavern she ran on the December 8th, 1954, and Gein apparently shot her. And on November 17th, 1957, during the investigation on his property, her face was found on the like the skull caps. Yes, and police found Bernice Warden's body in Gein's barn hanging upside down from a meat hook with her head cut off and he had removed her genitalia. Mm. And the inside was free from blood and appeared to have been washed. Yeah. And he is presumed to have killed five other victims, including his own brother. Yeah. 
And that is my story. Yep. What a sick puppy. Yeah. I mean, that didn't go as long as I thought it was going to, but it was definitely jam-packed with gory stuff. Grossness. Yeah. Hmm. You have done yourself as usual. A busy guy. I read somewhere that they reckoned he had schizophrenia. And he had, uh, definitely had something yeah. going on there. And then he was a sexual sadist and all those things. And, like, had some issues. He had a lot of issues. But you can see, like, how in his head everything got so twisted yeah. with his mum isolating him and just putting all that Darkness. weird negative thoughts mm. in his head, yeah. yeah. And when his brother tried to speak up and wasn't saying nice things about mum, yeah. he's gone now. How crazy. I wonder what happened to poor old dad. Oh, I think that man just drank himself to death because he didn't want to deal with it. You don't blame him. Yeah, it was hectic. Not a good situation. That's definitely a good way to make a killer. I don't know why, but whenever you tell me these people are dead, it just makes me feel happier. <laughs> well, I guess they bring a lot of negativity and evil into the world. And mm. When they're gone, I guess it's it kind of when goes. Gone, well, thanks for that. Hopefully everyone wasn't completely destroyed by that. That was gross. And we everyone made it through that. <laughs> and I guess we'll see everyone next week. We will. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. You can follow us at Facebook at Solved, Unsolved or Spooky, on Twitter at Hashtag or Solved, Instagram at Solved, Unsolved or Spooky. You can email us at podcast at Solved, Unsolved or Spooky dot com. And if you want to support the show, go to Podfan and find Solved, Unsolved or Spooky and pick one of the tiers. Thank you. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.